Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Red Couch Theology Podcast. I'm excited this week. We're actually finishing up the series that we're, we've been in on the subject of anxiety. And this week, we're talking about anxiety that stem from the present. And really what that means is some anxieties stem from the fact that we we are walking around through our everyday lives wondering if people are going to realize that we're an imposter. We, we really aren't who we say we are, or maybe we're not as good as that as we uh, appear to be to others and all that sort of thing. And there's this anxiety under the surface that says, I'm really not as valuable as I wish I was. And what if people find out? Um, we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about some of the remedies that the scriptures have to offer to that. And we're also going to wrestle with um, this identity issue in a couple other ways that I'm excited for you to hear, but I'm not going to get into that now. Instead, we're going to dive right into the episode and you can hear how does our identity connect to anxiety and what does God have to teach us about that? Well, hello, everybody. We have, we are live. It is 11 o'clock on the dot. And I did not do the greeting because last week you were salty about the fact that I stole your greeting moment. That's right. That's like the only thing I'm good for. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're live and you might've been uh, waiting for us for a moment, but uh, here we are. Or just listening to us meander in thought. I don't know how that works. You produce. The mic us. is on. The mic is on. And There's we're live on. and we're testing everything. Um, I've actually had a few people ask me, how come you're always like rambling a little bit and then you're like live before you're actually live and can't you guys just go live and then like start talking the things? The answer is no. The answer is we can't do that. And here's a little bit of the technology behind it. There's actually like this buffer window that it takes the technology time and their internet speeds actually change when we technically go live. Uh, so I apologize. The answer is we actually don't know exactly when we're live because the internet speed dictates that to some if extent. If we had a producer, would they know when we were live? No. No, they wouldn't know either. No. Incredible. Until it actually shows up on the stream, what there's not 100% certainty that you're live. What an age we live in. Now, we could know if we didn't use this particular service that schedules the live streams to automatically mm. repeat every week. If we manually said, go live... But then I would have to build it every week and then fill it all in. And then, no, uh, that's, I, no, I'm too lazy for <laughs> such things. I'm too lazy for such things. So if I want it if to be automated. Came, yeah. If, if you came for a podcast that was driven by, like, I don't know, uh, details, then you came to the wrong place. Oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I thought our, your name's details and my name's checklists, but, my but, middle name. But, <laughs> But also as well, if someone's complaining about this podcast meandering, they kind of lasted very long. Like, That's right. We, like, Those people are long gone. Yeah, that, this, 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 we might as well change it to red, red couch meandering. Or That's something right. Like that. I mean, it's That's like, right. It's definitely. So this week we are finishing up a series. Yeah. But we do have a question a to clear up first because we do we did start doing questions and answers. Yeah, we did. And we actually got three questions this week Will you yeah. want to start with one of them what's our what's our first question well the first one was who has better hair uh which was a delightful uh this is the this is the depth of spiritual questions we've gotten so yeah, far yeah. No, uh, who has better yeah. hair yeah well this uh, is i spirit. definitely think alex has better hair yeah. i feel like he has the kind of hair that you could pull off at any different I any hairstyle i feel like when you had long hair 
mine might have been better. Might have been, definitely. But now you've got this cool, like, almost, like, verging on, like, slightly Euro. If you went shorter on the sides, it'd have, like, this almost Euro chic look. Um, Yeah. And I think it would fly, man. I think you should. And the gray, I feel like the wisdom is more orientated over your side of the room now. You've got some palpable wisdom. Which I don't understand, because it was all gray, and it was long. It was long gray. It's actually only gone gray since I've been here, which I don't know if that's currently. Was it gray true? I've been gray for years. I've been gray for like eight years. Maybe you just hit it better. I don't know. So somehow I've had this comment a lot. People think that I got gray when I cut my hair. And I was like, if you go look at my long hair, it was was definitely all gray. I feel like when I first met you, you were still like trimmed and not gray. I don't know. But but I I can can hold the hair mantle for the the, uh, organization. That's fine. Yeah, um, we did have a couple of people come and at least know that guys with long hair were welcome at South, because well, every guy on stage at one point had long hair. <laughs> exactly. We got a drummer with long hair. And we now got... we balanced it out a little bit so that you're still welcome because we still have Alex as has as our long hair representative, mm. and then there's me who's just uh, vanilla now. Absolutely. But yes. turns out I, when you cut your hair from you know shoulder length or past shoulder length to the length I have it now, um, and you, your job involves you being on stage every weekend, people have lots of opinions, oh, and they're definitely. heated. Yeah, it's yeah. fascinating. And, and I think I've said before, I've had it li- I, had, I actually couldn't count the number of people that have come up to me and said, you're, you're taller than you look on stage. Someone said it this week. Again? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Huh. Someone who's just started coming out. Yeah, it's, but no, people said it in Trinity, actually. It's more, happens more now because of you, but even when I was at the church, I was at last. I, I'm apparently a person that looks shorter than I am. Huh. I don't know what I mean. You just have a short, uh, distant, from, from far away, you're short. Yeah. But from up close, you're tall. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Weird. So that was one question. We are talking about anxiety. Well, we're talking about, are we talking about anxiety or are we talking about yes. identity? The answer is yes. So that was actually going to be my first question for you. So this is the final week uh, that we're discussing this particular series, which is um, this anxiety series. And this week, you're focusing in on anxiety that stems from the present, which I think you even opened the message with a little bit of, that's a counterintuitive thought. The, all the other weeks we've been saying, be in the moment, be in the mm-hmm. moment. That's going to help with your anxiety yeah. a little bit. And then you're like, oh yeah, but sometimes in the moment there's anxiety too. And so, um, you and you had, oh, my flashlight just turned on. So explain where does anxiety come from in your mind when it stems from the present. So, so I, I had this like working thesis that I began with, well, kind of began with, which was really uh, how I see me leads to anxiety. You know, like I picked because it kind of rhymed. Um, I, don't, I think it's just an assonance. I don't think it actually rhymes. But I, I, that was the that was my uh, original thought, and and I built this sentence over the course of the the sermon, which was how I see me affects the me you'll see, but only God sees the real me. Um, uh, and so, which I loved, by the way, it was it was good, and so much so that my wife would like to write a book, and she's like, "Do you think Alex would let me use that title?" I, I, <laughs> I think I probably would. Um, and uh, I'm not I'm not go I'm not achiever enough to think that uh, I should try and keep it for myself. Uh, I, I think I. So it begins with identity, and and that like so identity, man, we could jam for that on ages. Like, where does your identity come from? I actually will share just a story that I heard the other day because it's just too wonderful. It was actually a story N.T. Wright, the theologian, was sharing. Uh, and one of his colleagues, a British 
colleague of his, uh, was coming out to speak uh, in America, was invited to speak at a conference. And there was like this, so this invite was sent out and he's a busy guy. He just jotted it down in his diary six months out, go speak at this conference. This is the subject. Uh, and the subject was just uh, who is God. Um, and so he was kind of thinking about this in the course of his prep. And he comes out to America from Britain to speak at this conference. And he arrives out here and um, gets up to speak at this conference on the subject. If there was not a Trinity in scripture, it would be necessary to create one. Um, like if, if it didn't reflect God as three in one and one in three, just relationally, just theologically, it would be necessary to create. And he got this thunderous applause, like this address just flies, like people are standing and clapping and cheering and stuff like that. And then he goes and sits down and the, the guy that was speaking before him leaned over and said, that was a really brave subject to take on. And he kind of looked at him and said, well, it doesn't feel that brave. I was just talking about the Trinity. And the guy said, yeah, this is a Unitarian conference. <laughs> So he'd gone to this conference wow. and talked about the necessity of Trinity to a bunch of Unitarians. But then he's left with his questions. So he looks at the guy and says, well, why did they cheer for me? And the guy says, oh, they just like your accent. <laughs> like just such a wonderful story. And I, 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 the reason I share it is because it's funny, but also because I wrestle with that identity at times. Like, what, well, where is your identity? Is it, it being in being a, an English person in a different country. Um, mm. You know, I uh, have multiple conversations every week with people like, oh, your accent is so cool. Where do you come from? Um, when you go home no or when you go me. back to England. Yeah, right. <laughs> even though you were born further away from here than me. Um, when you go home and no one does that, when you go back to your, your own country and no one does that, there is a little bit like, wow, that was kind of like being a celebrity. Um, that's kind of fun. Um, we do have a celebrity pastor. Yeah, just because I have an accent. Um, <laughs> so you, you realize like that can become an identity thing. Having a wife can be an identity thing. Having There's all sorts of places to take identity. Yeah. Um, but what we were trying to lock it down into, I think, was the specific conversation of that. Like, how do you, how do you take your, how do you set your value? Um, yes. And so you, so the connection to anxiety uh, to try and like, if I'm, if I'm hearing you right, the connection to anxiety and identity is the fact that in the present, you still may have anxiety. Even if you're like, all right, I put the past in the past. And like, I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm recovering from anxieties that stem from the past and I'm trusting God with the future. I'm still having this thing. Your thesis is partially that that anxiety that still comes from the present is what if someone finds out who I am in the present and oh. it's just not good enough and like I don't think I'm good enough and on and on. It's all identity sort of related. Yeah, it's it's exactly that. It's it's I have I don't have a good sense of value for me. And as soon as that becomes the case, well, every conversation has almost like a question mark between it. It's like, this is what I think I see. Do you see the same thing? Um, yeah. and and that like that that's true of like I, I just heard Craig Grishel, the like, I mean, awesome pastor, great speaker, great leadership thinker said for years, he struggled with what he called imposter syndrome. Yeah. Um, like, like he felt like, oh, oh, this is all like, this is all luck that this has happened. This has nothing to do with me. And someday someone's going to figure that out. 
Yeah, my mom actually said something to me when I turned 18. Uh, she made this like passing kind of joke. She says, oh, I still wake up every day wondering when people are going to figure out I'm not ready to be a mom. She said this on my 18th birthday. Wow. And I'm the second child. Yeah. You know, my sister was already married and out of the house. And my younger brother is like, you know, just a couple years behind me. And, and she's like, oh, yeah, I still wake up every day wondering. Oh, no, no one realizes I'm not ready to be a mom. I'm not <gasps> mature enough. I don't know enough. I don't know all this stuff. And that's that feeling, right? Yeah, it's like yeah, I'm yeah, walking so around and I somehow fooled the whole world, but it's going to come out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, I struggled with that more in the past because I would look at like ministries that I'd led that had been successful and I'd always be able to find other reasons than me that they were successful. Oh, you mm -hmm. had a great assistant. Oh, you had this thing. Oh, you had that thing. Oh, oh, it was that. Oh, it was that. And, and so that, that's just a small microcosm of how you can look at your own sense of value and be like, no, it's just a facade. And someday someone's going to pull back the curtain and it's not a wizard behind there. It's like, it's the little puppet guy, like controlling the, the voice wizard of our style. Um, and so I think that like, as soon as those questions start lurking, well, it's very natural to take the next step of like, well, how does everyone else see me? And, and, and then to, to do a couple of things, either you, you, you kind of, you, go reclusive, you, you kind of shut down around people. Um, and there's actually some like some thinking behind that. The, the, um, the, there's a band called The Darkness and their lead singer, Justin Hawkins said, I used to go hang out with the guys in the band. Uh, and a few years ago, I, I decided to stop because it was better for me to become more enigmatic and distant and mysterious. It led to my like persona. Um, so it gave me almost this aura because no one was around me. Um, and, and same thing with uh, pastors you see today in megachurches. It's like, no, nobody sees me. I turn up right before the sermon. I sit in a green room. I get in a car as soon as it's done and nobody sees me during the week. And then I turn up and of course, then you come with this aura of like untouchability. Mystery and yeah. Kurt Cobain, same thing with Nirvana. Ed, Freddie Mercury, same thing with Queen. They, they go off into these distant like places and it's, uh, they, they only touch us mortals every now and again. So, so there's a few different ways to do that recluse thing. You kind of like disappear off into something mm -hmm. or you create a, an image that you're trying to craft to, yeah. to, to fit in with people. You try and say things that people want to hear you say. You try and pose that you have value. All Either those be funny things. or intellectual or like you just project the the appearance you would like people to oh, perceive so I, I listened to an interview with two really famous comedians not long ago. And um, the question was, when did you learn to be funny? And the one guy said, I, I, I learned to be funny when I realized I was fat. And the other one said, I learned to be funny when I realized I was ugly. Like it, the, they both had a sense uh -huh. of, of value here. There's got to be something to make up for it. Yeah. And so they, their comedy, both of them stemmed from. I have this strong urge to make a joke right now. <laughs> <laughs> as i'm feeling extra out of shape uh, uh, oh man so th yeah th there's a whole bunch of questions around value and identity um and then then so then my my like my tension point for this sunday was also so, so then you go look in scripture for self-esteem help like give me something to tell me that i'm great and you don't find it because it doesn't care about that um yeah and so i want to i want to dig into that a little bit 
Um, uh, before we continue, though, real quick, we will get back to the rest of the questions. I know we only addressed yeah, the goofy yeah, yeah. question. But, uh, later on in the show, we're going to get back to the rest of the questions. So hang in there with us because uh, we had actually some, uh, especially one really good question. Um, the other question, I think, came from me, if I'm honest. <laughs> I think it was okay. It was okay. It was not nearly as good as the real now question. Now people are going to have to figure out which is which. Yeah. I'm going to start sending in questions I want to answer. Yeah. So we'll get back to that. But. So yeah, let's dig in into that idea. Um, can you expand on that a little bit? The what you were just saying of like this transition. Yeah. So so th there is there's there's undoubtedly some power in positive thinking, and some power in there's a reason for a couple of hundred years societies like the French axiom that I pulled out from from Alexander Dumas, which was um, think well of yourself and the whole world will think well of you too. Like he talked about that as being like a, a, a shift from an old Greek axiom, which is know thyself. Like that's actually a profound thing, knowing yourself. Yeah. Like that, that, that there's, there's some great value to that. Uh, and he said, no, our society has shifted to, yeah, just think well of yourself and everyone will think well of you too. And, and you might say our society shifted beyond that to, have a good social media feed and everyone will think well of you too. Um, yeah. Like that, that, that sort of like posture. So, so that can work on some level in terms of being a successful person. There is a reason there's so many self-help books. There is a reason that there's positive thinking seminars. They can help you fake it better. But if you go to the Bible looking for like, well, what's the Bible's version of self-help or what's the Bible's version of positive thinking or self-esteem, like pep talk? Yeah. Well, that, that it doesn't have it um, because it doesn't believe in it. So now the question is then, okay, the, okay, we say, all right, the Bible doesn't have like what we classically say is a self-esteem roadmap. Um, so, the, so does that mean that the Bible says... Oh no! The best method is to think really bad of yourself. I, I would suggest that the, the as a whole, the biblical writers would say the best thing is to not think about yourself at all, uh, or close to it. Um, yeah. There's a there's a learning to dethrone yourself from the center of the universe, which is really at the heartbeat of a lot of our value struggles. Like naturally, just our experience of the world is we place ourselves at the center of it. When, when I used to work with students, I was always amazed. I could watch them in this transition, like 14, 15 years old, where uh, they would start to believe two things at the same time, which for all intents and purposes should be mutually exclusive. They would believe that nobody no noticed them at all. They were invisible. And everybody noticed every single detail about them too. So uh. you would have a, a student that would be like, oh, yeah, everyone hates my new haircut. Uh, but they didn't invite me anywhere because they don't think about me ever. I'm like, yeah, like you can have one or the other. Most people didn't even notice you got your hair cut. Um, but but though that sense of I'm the center of the world, not necessarily because I'm wonderful or great, but just because, well, that's how I think about the world, right? I'm 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 I am the geographical center of everything. Yeah. So so the 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 I'm closest to me yeah, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And so really the the overarching weight of these biblical writers seems to be God is the center of every universe. And anytime you put yourself in a center, you've given yourself a position that you can't handle. And weren't designed for 
Yeah. Yeah. And if, and if that's got like the gravitational model that we think of with our um, universe, well, well, that like the center of the universe pulls everything towards it. And that means you're going to get smashed up by some pretty big stuff. <laughs> and yeah. and your, your psyche might just not be wired for that. So I think if anything, it nudges you away from having to think about yourself all the time. Um, yeah, but so you offered, so you said there isn't like what we classically, the term self-esteem, but there's a different kind of esteem that you recommended at the end of the message. So, so, so I, describe I, that. I called it God esteem. I don't know if that's a good description. It just, uh, I, it felt like it fit at the time. And I was like, eh, okay. Yeah, so, so unpack what you, so if you're not sure that that's the best term, what do you mean by that specifically when it comes to identity? So, so you might argue that the best thing that God says about us is I made you, I love you, you're part of my story. Um, and if we can get our identity and our value from that, then one, that that puts us on the same level as every other human being ever. There is no high and low. There is no better or worse. Like if that can truly become our identity, well, well, the kid that says I'm ugly, so I've got to be a comedian doesn't actually, ugliness isn't a value in that. We tend to make it a value. We, we want to be attractive and, and actually maybe more dangerously, like we long for our kids to be attractive. And, and that can be a really detrimental thing to a happy life sometimes. Yeah. Um, so, so I think like being able to locate in that sense of nowhere, my, my value is in the, the things that God says about me. There's this really famous theologian, Karl Barth, and I don't, you may have heard this story, but he talks about, there's this story about him being invited to a seminary to speak. I think it might be Moody. Um, okay. Some big American seminary, and he's walking around the campus, and it's, it's Karl Barth. Like, I mean, for seminary students, it's like LeBron James or whatever. It's like, you know, everyone's following him around, and asking him questions and you know, he can't answer all of them, but someone says to him, what's the most profound thing you've learned in all of your years of studying? And like quick as a whip, he turns around and he says, Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so. Like that, that to him was the, the heartbeat of every piece of knowledge. Um, yeah. And, and that, that for us is a, I don't know, I think, I think if we can get to some honesty for a lot of the time, for a lot of us, it's a academic idea or an intellectual idea. Yeah, it's a battle for every follower of Jesus. Like maybe if you just encountered the presence of God for the first time and the love of God for the first time, it's like easy to access that feeling of his presence and his love. But over time, that feeling might fade and then it becomes this battle to constantly remember, no, it's real. It's real. It almost feels too good to be true that, that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, would love me and then you do something stupid and you're like seriously no it can't be and then and again and again and again and it's this, this lurking doubt that mm. that my you know there's no way i'm still lovable so so the beautiful thing if you can get to that root i think in terms of how you live in the world is like if that can genuinely be the most important thing to you and maybe it's just a like it's a pipe dream or a long painful road to landing in that spot it's just possible that it's okay then to be good at some stuff and it's okay then to be bad at some stuff. Um, it took me a long time to get comfortable with the stuff that I wasn't good at ministry-wise, work-wise. I'm still not comfortable with mine. <laughs> uh, well, that, yeah, we're... <laughs> 
It's because you're good at everything. <laughs> False. Black but, but I actually got called out. I actually, <laughs> sorry. I actually got called out by a, a a person that worked for me years ago, um, because like I hate admin, and and I've come a long way in my journey with administration and uh, and discipline around admin. And yeah, I mean, you should have seen me ten years ago, and I'm not that great now. Uh, and and she looked at me once and she said you pretend admin's not important or you act like it's not important. And she said, I know the reason you do that is because you're not good at it. Uh, and yet what you don't realize is the, 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 the reason you're successful is partly because I hold that for you. And, and I was like, Oh man, that was that hurts because it's true. Yeah, that's like one of those things. <laughs> like, don't you hate it when the truth totally. like smacks you over the face? Oh, no, so she was hard. pretty outspoken, and she was wrong about like ninety percent of stuff, but she was right about that. Yeah, um, like I, oh. I, to me, like that was a that was again like my own value. Like I can't do this well. I um, and maybe like some like healthy. I spend so much time with people. I don't feel like I have the time to do it well. And so I kind of push it off to one side and I justify it with, but I'm always with people. Yeah. Uh, and and it's not that important anyway. All people really want is- Connection. Is for you to connect with them. Yeah. Uh, and she was the one that said, no, 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 that's, that works for a degree, to a degree, but but there is a, uh, uh, there is a whole bunch of systems that make us function. Yeah, I had a similar um, sort of one of those moments where someone said something that was a little too true. And I, I was wrestling with uh, this, this particular relationship with a boss and, um, and they were challenging me and challenging me. And I really hadn't had a boss that like pushed me that hard before because I'd always like challenged them you know and all those sorts of things so i was like i don't know they're like micromanaging me and stuff and then and then like when it was all this thing it all settled down and uh, i had a really close friend said so what i hear you saying is you have a leader that's leading you that's really really um brilliant and they actually are coming up with ideas that you didn't come up with and so what you want to do is you want to leave that to go to a place where you're the smartest person in the room and you, <laughs> and, and you don't have to grow anymore. Is that what I hear you saying? And I was like, yes, that's what I was saying. And that's horrible. Why would I do such a thing? My leader's leading me? Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> like, man. And so it was like just hearing it out loud stated that clearly. I was like, darn, I'm just being arrogant. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I just want to be the smartest person in the so room. So there's so many of those things that, like, that, that that catch you off guard. Like, and we're delving a little bit into the ministry world, which is maybe yeah. people's interest in the podcast. Because we are, with this podcast, we do try and pull the curtains back a little bit. Totally. Uh, and, and, and just thinking about what it is to lead people when you're wrestling with value. What I've noticed for me is this. When I'm at my healthiest and my value is good, both in terms of how God sees me and that enabling me to be good at the things I'm good at and recognize when I need help with the things I'm not, it enables me to, to lead by, by following Jesus on the journey he has for me and the community mm. and inviting other people along. When, when I'm questioning that, I actually spend a lot of my time looking back at the people that I'm hoping are following and asking all sorts of questions about, well, how do they feel about this? Or how do they see this? Or 
how do they value me in this area, that area? Like all my direction is, is pulled backwards. Yeah. Um, and, and so like to take it away from like the gravitational thing that we talked about earlier and think about it like a linear journey, we are moving forward with Jesus. And my call as the person called to lead this organization is, is to look at Jesus and say, where are we going? And that becomes almost possible if you're turned backwards, kind of tracking mm -hmm. with a whole bunch of people all the time. It's not that you're not checking in. It's not that you're not relational, but it's like that can't be your obsession. Yeah. So I have... So you, so you, your thesis is it was that tr that movement. Could you like restate that movement? It's like um, how, how I, I see, see me, me affects the me you'll see, but only God sees the real me. But only God sees the real me. So, um, and your and sort of your essentially your recommendation or your your insight into this idea is that this present anxiety around our identities, part of healing from that is recognizing that God sees you and loves you mm -hmm. and gives you an identity that's even more beautiful and more palpable than the identity you would wish for Absolutely. yourself. And and, 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 I, and I guess macro level, we'll, we'll dive into that for a second, but macro level, when we talked about this, when we started this anxiety series and I prep most of the series advance in my set by myself and, and I'm thinking about it and I'm like week one, what it feels like the value or the, the, the movement is presence. And then I'm starting to look at week two and I'm like, oh, it feels like it's presence. And then I get to week, I'm like, oh, week three also feels like it's presence. The, the, anti, the antidote to the poison feels like it's God being present with us. Yeah. This, way, this week specifically through, through words. And through, yeah, through identity statements of I yeah. see, I know, I love, I delight, so, I give yes. identity. So yeah. we talked about like the words of Psalm 139, this beautiful psalm. Yeah. Um, and we turn that into a prayer for people to engage with. And, and yeah, then the, so, the story was this Mephibosheth story, this outsider brought to the, the inside. So yeah, this uh, idea of you created my inmost being. So it's the seeing of us. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think I actually ran through the whole Psalm pretty much with just yeah. different categories. Of totally. the, there's a view of your inner life, like the inner workings. No, I value that. I see it. There's the, there's the background creation story, who I am. Um, and then there's the, the actions to look, every part of me is covered in that psalm. Uh, the way I am, where I come from, my hidden life, like that's all there. Um, but we, as a prayer, we took that element, uh, because it's so profound in terms, it even taps into the physical nature, which so many of us are like, eh? Yeah. I don't love about and that. I don't body, love this about yeah, myself. All of that. I'm, I'm not tall enough. Like I'm, I'm, I, I look short on stage. So here, here's the question, um, and this is, I, so I actually wrote in a question. I texted in a question because, um, did you know you'd and I would recraft the question now slightly because uh, this is maybe stems to a personal story that I have with identity. Um, what happens when I disagree with God? Identity statement about me. So, so, so I, th I think that's probably a normal part of the journey. Isn't it? Uh, so, so the what, what I, I think I actually said on Sunday, which I would hold to be true, like in theory for myself and for everyone else, is that God sees me better than I see me. So it's really a value statement about who has the right to ascribe value. Um, yeah. So, 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 so there's things that my kids think about themselves in their youth, like in their juvenileness. 
And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like as someone who sees you and has seen you from birth, this is what I see about you. Um, and, and so we tend to obsess on detail. Other people tend to see macro. Like, so, so I remember as a kid feeling like, like having like a couple of freckles on my face that that was what people saw. And my mom was like, no, like I see the way that your eyes light up when you smile. I see like the way that you engage with people, like in conversation, like I see all these things about you. Um, yeah. and, and it took that perspective. It took me a while to get to the point of saying, oh, she's right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so somewhere like the, the God, God is beautiful in his freedom in, in giving us freedom to argue with him about ourselves. Yeah. But, but, but he's, he's like Moses story is probably great in that respect. Right. Yeah. Moses says to, to God, like, I'm not a great speaker. Um, he probably said it like this. I don't talk good. Yeah. I, <laughs> I can't do that accent. It's out, of, <laughs> it's out of my range. I can do Indian and Australian and uh, I don't know. Yeah. I can't talk good. <laughs> yeah. Um, th there is this like, yeah. So, so Moses says, I don't talk good. And maybe he was right on a physical level. Who knows? God's reply is who made man's mouth? Like who made people mute? Who made people blind? Who made people seeing? Um, yeah. Like, like this is what I say about you. And that's going to matter more in the long run. Yeah. Um, so, so that, that, that's a hard place to get to sometimes. Yeah. So I used to think, um, even as you know, in, in my ministry here at South and being a pastor and stuff, I used to think that one of the big tasks of, um, of the church and of ministry and of pastoring was helping people see and experience the love of God. And I still think that, mm. but um, I sort of had, went into an emotional tailspin at one point. And this was like, uh, for those of you who've been around long enough to know when I went on sabbatical, I went on a silent retreat, and during the silent retreat, I was just all out of sorts emotionally. I'm wrestling through some emotional stuff and all this stuff, and I kept asking, like, well, maybe based upon this thesis, I just don't believe that God loves me. I don't believe with, that God loves me, and so I'm going to focus on some love passages and like try and fill up on God's identity statements about me and stuff, and that's going to be the remedy to it. And I realized, and I started journaling, I was like, do I not believe this? No, I actually do. I think God's God, God does love me, and so I was like, so I was wrestling. Well, then what's wrong? Why am I? Why isn't this helping me? If I genuine, I genuinely believe He's good. I think He delights in me, and then it's hit me like this ton of bricks. I just think He's insane for loving me. That's a good way of saying and it. And yeah. the second I had that realization, I just started. I wept for four hours. I f cried myself to sleep, and I didn't. I didn't wept like that in my whole life probably mm, and that's beautiful and i had this battle in my journal and i kept crying out you're just wrong you're foolish you're mm. unwise you're for for loving me and i just i kind of was this puddle i woke up in the middle of the night and kept on processing it and then i woke up the next day and i was just all all the emotion that sort of like bled from my system mm. and he's sort of like are you done yet because whether you agree with me not or not, and you think I'm insane for loving you, I do. And, and, and then I'm like, okay, so which ones? Which one do I do? Do I think he's? Do I want him to stop loving me? Like so that that was this conversation that I took place over this retreat. And by the end, it was sort of like this reconciliation. I still have my doubts that you're very smart for loving me. <laughs> is that is that blasphemy to, yeah, yeah, to yeah. like doubt God's brilliance? <laughs> 
But it was more like, I just don't get it. I don't get why you would like and, it. And you say it in that way, and it's profound when you say it in that way. But what you're really saying at your core is like, I I, I don't have the brain bandwidth to, to see what you see. Totally. So it's, 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 it's like a surrender and an acknowledgement. I, a, a couple of years ago, we took our kids skiing, and there were three of them at the time, and Jude was probably three years old. Uh, and and as we're walking out to, to the, the baby slopes, like he's tired, he didn't sleep enough, hadn't eaten, we probably picked the wrong time to be there. And he's just dragging. And I'm like, just like, like I've got his board, I've got him under my arm, I'm just plodding forward. And, and after a while, Laura takes him off to the side and she just holds him, sat in the snow. I've still got a picture of them just sat in the snow. And she's just holding him there, like rocking with him, just saying, mama's got you, mama's got you. Mama's got you. And after a while, he starts to listen to this voice and the words that it's saying. And his breathing comes back into regulation and he calms and he, he gets to this point of like, okay. And then for months afterwards, every time he was stressed about something or every time he was worried, he'd be like, mama's got you. Mama's got you. Mama's got you. Oh, it, so beautiful. Like it just, like it's, it's being willing to, to eventually take our eyes off the situation and listen to the voice. Yeah, that can and, change and the situation. Surrender to the confusion. Like I don't get why you love me at times, but the interesting yeah. thing is he was still sat in the snow. Yeah, and he was still somewhere he didn't want to be, and he was still hungry. Circumstances hadn't really shifted at all. Yeah, uh, but but the person he was with was shifting the circumstances for him. Which maybe that brings us to our other yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. So we got another question, and I um I'm gonna do my best to sort of summarize this question here. Um. See if I can understand it. So this is sort of related to, not not necessarily as much related to this particular week, but just maybe the general series and some other ideas here. But uh, here's the thought process that I've noticed. Um, if trusting God, uh, if trust, if I trust God like He says, life could get better and better, and I trust Him more and more. So it's like this uh, flywheel. There's mm. like a momentum to I trust things get better and that builds more trust and then it gets better and then it builds more trust and so forth and so forth. The question is, can that happen in reverse? I try my best to trust God and things fall apart and then it creates the skepticism in my mind and therefore I don't trust him as much, mm. which falls apart even more. And you basically almost, um, because he doesn't show up in the way that I want him to, uh, it's I almost like, work my safe completely out of faith. Mm. What what do I do with this? What mm. what do you think's going on there? So that's it's a long question. So that's me, my best attempt at summarizing it. Um, but that's the question that someone sent us. Um yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's a that's probably a really normal process for a human mind. Just any in anything, right? Like more reps creates more confidence and that creates more skill at doing the thing. Like that that's true from Everything from weightlifting to driving cars to to skiing to like I mean you could it's hard to think of a, a thing that success doesn't breed more success to a point. Totally. And it's hard Which is why it's like, okay, this is the maybe uh, for lack of a better word, this should be this is the system that I you know, maybe this this question uh comes from is like Okay, I want to make that cycle work in my favor mm -hmm. for, in relation and, to and so and, and then yeah, and correspondingly the more you fail the more you're worried about failure. Like in golf, they have a thing called the yips. Yeah, um, I have the yips all the softball. time. Okay, 
Yeah, yeah. And softball, throwing the ball. Like I, yeah. all growing up, I could throw a ball, no problem. And then one time I almost hit a little kid. And now, and now I can't throw a softball. Yeah. I bet you can throw it really hard though. I can. Yeah. <laughs> no direction to it whatsoever. No direction, but, yeah. but, but I can that, throw like, hard. Suddenly that like, and I had that once with golf, like suddenly I like, I just couldn't hit a ball straight. I mean, and all my life I'd been able to hit the ball straight. It didn't always go very far, but always hit it straight. And suddenly it was just flying off in all sorts of different directions. Had no clue what happened. Just took me ages to fix it. Um, some of my friends would say, you still haven't fixed it. Uh, so, so there is like this, this, this repeat pattern there. I think the hard thing with this question in this topic is I'm not sure the, the, the biblical writers and, and even Jesus himself in his statement, I don't know that success or outcomes even are as correlated to it as we might want to make them. Yeah. Uh, so um, what, what I mean by that yeah. is like, like the, the idea that life will get better. Uh, it might. And that it says that in the question, life could get better. Yeah. And I think could is the operable word there, but then what do you mean by better define better? Cause a lot of people, they become Christians and, and not a lot of the, not a lot of people in the West. But like if you're from a a Muslim nation stuff, you become a Christian, you could get just martyred real quick. Life is can that get worse. Life could get way worse if you follow Jesus. So that that the, there is a yeah, there is a to a certain degree in in our in our Western society, and and we don't have to say it's good or bad. Andy Stanley at his church has a saying regularly that he uses, like following Jesus should make your life better and make you better at life. Um. And when I hear it every time, I'm like, I, I find it easier to agree with the second part of the statement than I, than I do with the first part of the statement. Like the, should it make you better at life? That's probably true or, or truer to me anyway, just looking at it from my framework, because I think our overall understanding of, of how we deal with anxiety is recognizing that God is present even when there's things to be anxious about. Yeah. Um, and that, that we are not immune to those things. Jesus even says like the, the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. Um, and, and he's probably talking about rain as a good thing. Maybe we think of rain as a negative thing now, yep. but it's like, it's, there isn't particularly a, a control system in place to direct good rain to water crops only in the direction of the good people. Yep. Um, and so the things that might hit me, like to a degree, things that are out of the control of, of healthy family life, like I could go for a doctor's appointment tomorrow and there could be bad news. Um, like all of those things, if those are our senses of like, what's the outcome and life will be better if we trust, well, no, that's never what's promised to us. Yeah. Um, and there's, yeah, there there is some promise of like there is better ways of being human That's in this true, world yeah. that that generally speaking produce actual better outcomes in this world but the promise of scripture is not formulaic the promises of scripture are not like you do a and b plus c and then you rub your head and you pat your tummy and out pops yeah. wealth and happiness and joy and perfection and everything. That's not yes. the promise of Scripture. Um, and, th and, and, and this the, is the tension of the uh, the question. It's a hard question. It is a hard question. And, and so even the, the whole framework, 
of the Sermon on the Mount, like the Beatitudes as a starting point, the statements around who's blessed. Yeah. Dallas Willard in his reading would say, well, well, that's more of a like, it's more of a statement against what the current situation or current way of thinking was. Like this was a society that believed blessed are the rich and the poor are not blessed. Like yeah. there was a society that believes that God blesses those, the early risers, God blesses the, the get the go getters, God blesses the, the beautiful people. And, and so he would read Jesus statements as being like, no, the ones you think aren't blessed are also blessed. Um, and, and, and the, the, there's a, there's a follow on there in this statement, like the ones that the, when it's all going wrong, God is present. And it's when it's all going right, God is present. And there's not really the distinction between the two. Um, in actual fact, if you look at that story with my wife and with Jude, you could argue she was more present in the moment. It wasn't going well. Had he been doing fine and like skiing away, yeah, she she can ski, but she's not super into it. She'd probably been sat on the bench bench watching. Like the, yeah. there's a like her her his need brings a presence that's very different. Yeah, than, than what it might have been at other times. So and I, she doesn't take him out of that situation. Oh, even um, still in the snow, still on the slope that he doesn't want to be so, present in a way that's powerful. So so take, defining take, better is the, is very yes. important. And so, so like to, to take that question and nudge it like in the direction where we've been talking, if you get better at trusting God in hard situations, the more you trust him, um, that then is it correspondingly true that the, the less you trust him in bad situations, the less you, the less you'll tr trust him in future situations. That Which, might, that might be true from, from our experience. Now, now I, I, I do feel like the beautiful um, witness of, of the early church. There's a passage, I think, I think it's in second Timothy uh, and I'm going to say it's in chapter two. Um, but it says something like, if we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Yeah. Um, the, the, so, so there's that like, will, will it, will, will our emotional state potentially get worse? Yeah, does it change his presence? Apparently not. Yeah. Apparently this is a God that's very comfortable with people wrestling with their And so, their faith. Uh, yeah, and we actually addressed this a little bit last week in the episode, but I guess the real the question behind this question is, is presence good enough? Because sometimes it just doesn't feel like it. Like the circ I really just, I need the circumstance to change because it's killing me. Yeah. And so then you're like, okay, over and over again, anxiety series, the only thing they offer, offer me is presence. And I just don't know sometimes if that's enough uh -huh. to to satisfy, to 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 be a healing balm to the pain that someone's in. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, there's been times I've asked that same question mm -hmm. and that's the hard part. And this is one of the reasons why um, like getting to know a saint that's been walking with Jesus for decades and, so and decades and decades and decades. And they can tell stories with a perspective that I don't have in the midst of pain that says, Oh yeah. Every is. time I sit with someone like Carolyn Schmidt, who comes to South with Del McDonald that comes to South with, with these people that have journeyed for a while. Um, you come out with some sense of like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I, uh, and, and I may have even shared this on the podcast. I had a, a professor, at, um, seminary, who 
he was an old, old Testament professor. Seemed like a, just a very happy-go-lucky guy, always joyful. And then one time in, the, in, in his Job class, he began with a story. After reading Job chapter 1 and 2, and, and if you're not familiar with the story, Job's life just, I mean, it falls apart. Everyone dies. Everything goes He's bad. He's left yeah. with one kid and one servant. Every, all the rest of them are dead. He's left with his wife who constantly tells him he should curse God and die and house has fallen down, like all these different things. His health um, goes, yeah, everything. And so he reads all of that and, and, and there's a phrase that Job says, like, though he crushed me, yet will I praise him or something like that. Um, and, and this professor said, um, starts telling his story. And however many years before his wife had left him, she'd taken the kids with him. Um, everything had gone wrong. Like he just, he said, I lost everything, lost my job, lost all hope in the future. And he said, I actually drove myself to a lake in winter to throw myself into the ice uh, to kill myself. And he said, I was literally there on the side about to throw myself in. And he said, I heard the audible voice of God. And it said to me, if you have nothing but me, am I enough for you? And he said, I was left with this decision-making moment on the side of this lake, literally about to kill myself. And he said, I had to decide whether he was or not. Yeah. And he said, and he said, I, I, I contemplated and I paused and I said, yes, if you never give me back any of the things I've lost, if I have nothing else but you, you are enough. Yeah. Um, and until you've experienced a moment like that, maybe not suicidal in, the, in this example, but a moment where you experience the palpable presence of God that, that cuts through all of your soul's guards and protective walls and gets to you, if you've never experienced that, it's, it's something, it's, it's like tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. You can't help but crave that presence. Yeah. It's the most satisfying thing. It, it's almost like your soul was made for it. And I think I think that's yeah. the fascinating thing. The writer Richard Rohr says that in reality, that kind of experience of God comes through only two things. Uh, through either suffering, like either through the cycle getting so bad that you have, you, you're desperately in need. Uh, and you hear about people that have like been in a moment of tragedy, been in a moment of... Um, loss and God showed up in a particular way. There's a, a story from Russia uh, of a little girl that was, she got caught up in the cycle of, of, of some particular revolution uh, and was actually, her, her parents were both killed. And so she hasn't spoken for however many years. She comes to a Western country and she's in church with the family that adopted her. Hmm. And in the story, that she knows nothing apparently for uh, of scripture or anything grown up in an atheistic worldview. And the, the teacher shows a picture of Jesus and says, who can tell me who this is thinking she's going to start at the, the basic level. And the story goes that this little girl said, that's the man that held me in his arms the day my mommy shot my daddy or something like that. Like there were, I mean, in the moment of tragedy, like there's this, there's this moment where this little girl has experienced God and God is able to show himself in the form of a picture she'll see years later. That clearly wow. isn't the actual Jesus. Now, yeah, totally. Now, you, you can say those stories are made up, or they, but, but the, that it's not the only one of those stories. There's lots of those stories. And, and they all tend to be connected to a moment of intense suffering and, and, yeah. and loss. And then the other way he says is, is actual real intentional contemplation of actually saying, no, I'm going to pursue this as valuable. And, and 
the thing in life. Yeah. And, and and very few of us get to that. I I would own to never getting to that point. Yeah. Like I I I I'd love to say I had, but it, it takes a pursuit and a and a depth and a desire that. Totally. So I guess to to summarize it all, it's it's God knows you better than you know yourself, and He likes that. He yeah. likes you, and there's this thing where He. And so your present anxiety, anxiety around identity, I'm not good enough. What if people find I'm an imposter? All of this stuff. Um, it it can be healed by a, a God who says, yes, but I see you and I love you and I made you and you, you have purpose and stuff. What is there any final thoughts you have for folks this week? We I, th- I mean, up? I think you summed that up beautifully. Uh, I think it, being willing to wrestle with this big question of, uh, am I willing to take God's opinion of me, even when it seems stupid? You know, as mm. you phrased it, even when, even when you you kind of like God, you are betting on the wrong horse here. Yeah. Um, it's kind of become a comedy for me yeah. now in my prayer life. I'm like, Haha, you think I'm I'm good? Yeah. All right, that's that, I mean, I'll I'll roll with that. But it kind of cracks me. But up I think, think when I'm you have okay. those conversations yeah. with God, that is the magic of I think becoming closer to Him, and, and one of the markers of it. Um, Jim Elliot, a missionary that went out to to South America and was killed out there, in his diaries before going, says like I've noticed God and I are laughing at me together a lot. Um, yeah, that's like that, so and good. And that like oh. that yep. seems to be a marker of just like oh yeah, <laughs> I did it again. Oh yeah, you saw that. Yes. Totally. And that's a beautiful segue to the next thing we'll be talking about. We'll have one week, a transitional week in between mm-hmm. series, but uh, we, Alex and I, in this episode, we've talked a lot about hearing God say things and like speak identity over you. And mm-hmm. you're like, maybe you're like, yeah, God never talks to me. Well, lucky for you, we're going to be starting a series in two weeks um, about hearing God's voice. And so if you're like, yeah, I need that identity spoken over yeah. me, but I don't even know what his voice sounds like. I don't even know how to approach him in prayer, any of those sorts of things. Alice will be preaching and, on and that. And just to give you a, light, a little window into that to hopefully get you excited, we're, we're going to try and land in the tension point of, I've been in churches and in communities that is like, oh yeah, God is very loquacious. He's talking all the time in very specific ways about everything. Uh, yeah. So I went to seminary with guys that would be like, God, what what color underwear am I supposed to, to wear in the morning? And and they believed God had an opinion. And my view was kind of like, pick a pair, he doesn't care. Like, so long as they're clean. Like, just like, like so there's, 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 the, there's the weird element, like that can sound a little almost snake charmerish. Yeah. Uh, and then all the way through to the nope doesn't happen. The only time he ever talks is when I open my Bible yeah, and I read absolutely. literal words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the only way and, and he so, speaks. Yeah. Uh, uh, which which viewpoint is is nonsense just based on reading said Bible, like, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, so the that we're going to try and land in the tensions on both sides. Like what happens when God says something that seems ridiculous? What happens when someone says God said something that seems like it isn't something that God would say? Uh, all of those wrestle. different elements. And so yeah. we're going to have some fun wrestling. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it a lot. This is one of my favorite subjects. And if if you can develop a con, what Alice Willer would call a mm-hmm. conversational relationship with God, it might be one of the most powerful, powerful, I think it is. I think it is the most important formation element for a follower of Jesus. Yeah. 
If you start hearing from him, like you don't need to listen to the, you know, I mean, Pod, you please can, listen yeah, to our tell podcast. The podcast off, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> please listen to our podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Um, dude, that was my best puppy eyes. It's yeah, horrible. Yeah, yeah. It's horrible. But thanks all for tuning in. Um, thanks, I'm actually everybody. speaking of uh, uh, wise folks who've been walking with Jesus for a long time. I'm about, I'm about to go have lunch with Carolyn. So I'm looking forward to that. But that means I'm going to tune off now. Is that cool? It is cool. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye bye. Love y'all. Bye. Well, thanks again for listening, and we hope that that was a helpful conversation for you. We'd love to interact with you about this, so feel free to leave comments, questions, all that sort of thing, and we'll try our best to get back to you when we can. Have a great day.